Welcome back, everybody, to Talk of the Now podcast. This is Gene coming at you, and today we've got a guest on, a guy that I've been wanting to get on for a while. Um, his name is Aaron Blaze, and for those of you that watch the podcast and listen, I don't really go a lot into the art world. It's one of my worlds. It's one of the things that I like to get into and do. been doing it as a hobby since I was a kid, and I talk about it on the podcast some, and we have a variety of different kind of interviews that I do on here, including things like career-minded people, things people that want to get into um, sports and that kind of thing. But I wanted to have somebody come on that's in the art world, somebody that does art and has done art their entire lives, specifically animation. Animation is something that I've been fascinated with, again, since I was a kid, and going all the way back to my days of watching you know, cartoons of uh, Woody Woodpecker and Snoopy and right. All that kind of good stuff. So we have Aaron Blaze on. Um, Aaron, how are you today? I'm great. Thank you so much. It's nice to finally see your face and talk to you face to face. This is nice. Yeah. Well, for one thing, everybody, Aaron runs a great website called Creature Art Teacher. A little plug for him here. And we'll get nice. to that in the interview. Um, and I'm a member of this website. You can become members. It's great. You can do training a la carte. You can do training by buying one episode at a time or one class at a time. It's just, it's really good. And it's really, it's really cheap by the way, too, which is great. Not cheap in the, um, not cheap in the sense of uh, quality, but cheap. Value. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, glad you're doing great, Aaron. Um, I guess what we'll start with is just to talk a little bit about how, I guess I'll let you have the, the floor for a second and just kind of talk about how you grew up, where you're from and, um, what got you into um, wanting to be an artist as you grew older right. as a child? Um, both my parents uh, were artistic. They, they weren't necessarily artists, but they definitely fell on the artistic side. My father was a musician, professional musician for 30 years. Uh, he was also mm. in construction and all kinds of things. But um, And my mother was a really great draftsman, great artist. And, um, and so... You know, I, I was born in Vermont, grew up in Florida, moved to Florida when I was very young back in 1976 and grew up in South Florida on the West Coast of Florida down in the Everglades and just really fell in love with that part of the world. I've always been a nature buff. I've always just loved nature, animals, all of that. So it was a really great place to grow up. And I've always loved drawing. And so it was a perfect match. Uh, I was always out in the woods, bringing my sketchbook, uh, sketching the wildlife around the area. And um, luckily, I had two parents that were very encouraging. And um, unlike a lot of kids that say, I want to be an artist, and their parents try to steer them the wrong way or that steer them in a different direction. Um, I was told by my parents I was going to grow up and be an artist just because I was I was drawing so much and they just. They never thought I'd be anything else and neither did anybody, anybody else. And so, you know, from the time I could hold a pencil, that's what I wanted to do for a living. And so I grew up um, drawing nature, drawing animals and uh, doing that in South Florida and, um, you know, made it through my high school years. And when it came time to go to college, I went to the Ringling College of Art and Design in Sarasota, Florida, and I majored in illustration. And uh I wanted to work for National Geographic. That was my big dream. And, you know, I, I, I lived in this little trailer, you know, when I was a kid. And uh, I kept National Geographic magazines under my bed. And I would read them. And they were kind of my gateway 
to the world. And I would just dream of going off to these faraway places. And I loved the illustrations in the magazine. And so as I got older, and by the time I went to college, that's what I wanted to do. So I majored in illustration. I didn't do animation. Matter of fact, animation never even crossed my mind. Mm. Um, I wanted to be a painter. I wanted to be an illustrator. I wanted to paint, you know, the world, nature. And uh, so by the time I got, oh, probably about my second year in school and started thinking seriously about, you know, how to, how to get in with the magazine, I discovered that they didn't have the staff illustrators in the way that I wanted to do it. They, they freelanced all their illustration work. And hmm. I, I had freelanced my way all the way through college and I just didn't want to freelance anymore. I wanted to find a good solid staff position with a steady paycheck and insurance and all that stuff, healthcare. And uh, so I started kind of rethinking my goals and lo and behold, I had two companies that were coming to Ringling to interview. One was Hallmark cards and the other one was Disney. And so uh, I thought, well, I'll put together a portfolio for both of them. And lucky for me, Disney was first. I put together a portfolio for, for Disney. And I thought, yeah, maybe I can go in and become, and they, were, they were coming in to, to interview for interns to see if they could train uh, mm-hmm. people that could draw, see if they could train them how to animate. And so I thought maybe I'd get in there and become a background painter or something like that. And so I put together a portfolio and I was accepted. And so I, I ended up, and this is in 1988, I ended okay. up going to uh, California. I was in Florida and I hopped in my little beat up Honda Civic and drove to California and uh, went through the six week internship and fell in love with animation and the rest is history. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. So what was that, what was that drive like going from Florida as a, how old were you? I was, I was 19 or 20. I think I was 20. Yeah. I'd never been West of the Mississippi. And, uh, and so here I was, you know, this little surfer kid from Naples, Florida and in my beat up Honda, I had my surfboard in the back and I was going to hit the waves in California and do this internship. And it was great. And, uh, <laughs> uh, I got some, I got photographs of me in the Arizona desert with my skim board and, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was, it was just, it was a huge adventure. I, 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 you know, I had no idea what was, what I was going to be getting into and, and, uh, and had a, a wonderful, amazing time. Yeah. So I, you know, I ended up uh, getting into Los Angeles about five o'clock in the morning and uh, had to get my key to my apartment. So yeah, I, I went to Disney, went to the studios wow. at 5 a.m. up to the security guard shack and said, hey, I'm Aaron Blaze. I need to get my key. Yeah. So, and that was that was the beginning. And um, six weeks, six weeks, I learned animation uh, enough to get hired by the studio. So I went from knowing zero about animation to, you know, getting hired to work wow. in a studio after six weeks. So there you go. It was crazy. Well, it's, it's crazy to me to think about, too, because, I mean any 19 year old, you feel like you got the world ahead of you. Like when I was yeah. a 19 year old, I'm going off to college for the first time in South Georgia. And, um, you know, you just, you just don't know what you don't know. <laughs> That's right. the crazy part. That's the blessing and the curse, right? So yeah, you think you know it all. Uh, thank God you don't. And, <laughs> um, and then, you know, the world is just opens itself up to you. And, you know, mm. as long as you got the presence of mind to know that you don't know it all, then there you go. Yeah. And, and just you know, and just soak it all up like a sponge, which is which is what I did. Yeah, I was about to say, I would imagine when you walk in there for the first time and your first day and weeks at Disney, 
you're probably meeting people like Glenn Keane and whatnot, right? And you're trying to figure your role. Well, that's the thing. That, that's, I didn't know anything about animation or anybody in the animation field. Mm. And so I, I didn't know enough to be intimidated by anybody because I didn't know who they were. Nine old men meant nothing to you. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't know who the nine old men were. I didn't know what that was. And um, so it worked out great for me because I, you know, all of us interns were matched up. We all got matched up with an animator and that animator was going to be our mentor and take us through and train us for that six weeks. So my mentor was Glenn Keane. Wow. And, uh, and all the other guys are like, oh my God, I can't believe you got Glenn Keane. You're so lucky. Everything. I was like, I don't know who this guy is. I, I Glenn's an awesome guy. I really yeah. love, you know, like him. He's, he, and he's an amazing artist, but I really didn't know. I didn't know. It, it wasn't until I was there for a few days or a week or so that I, I really kind of understood how lucky I really was. You're like it, you know, we, or you're like a day 30 and you're like, wait a minute, this guy's a big deal that I'm hanging out with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's kind of a big deal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh man. Um, but I mean, so I'm, I'm guessing then you probably started learning kind of the uh, the pedigree of all this whole nine yes. men stuff. Yeah, and you that. just yeah. you know, and over the years you just kind of soak it up. But I, you know, in those first weeks, it was all about you know just edu- educating myself on the Disney legacy, all the films, and you know I'd grown up, I grew up through the '70s, uh, born in the late '60s, grew up through the '70s, and you know I saw my share of Disney films um, and enjoyed them. Uh, but it was never, and I loved watching the wonderful world of Disney and all that, but that was really, and growing up in Florida, I'd been to Disney world, but that was really my only exposure to the Walt Disney company and the Walt Disney legacy. And, and I never once imagined that I would be creating some of that stuff. And so, um, mm-hmm. you know, when I finally got out there and I'm, I'm meeting the people that created the films that I you know, grew up on from a Disney standpoint, it was really, really amazing. And then, you know, to also be with Glenn Keane and for the listeners that don't know who Glenn Keane is, Glenn Keane is probably the probably one of the best well-known uh, uh, contemporary animators that's still alive. He's got a wonderful you know, uh, history at Disney. Uh, he created the Beast. He created Ariel, the mermaid. He created Tarzan. He created a whole bunch of great characters. And. One of the wonderful things about Glenn that I was lucky enough to experience was his, is, is his passion and just the spirit that he brings to animation because he really sees animation more than just making cartoons. It's the, it's this expressive way of, of, of letting you, know, you expressing art and, and, you know, it's, it's acting, it's dance, it's music, it's, it's all, it's, it's drawing, it's painting, it's all these wonderful you know, mm-hmm. performing arts and visual arts and everything all wrapped into one. And, and it was that passion that that he had that I couldn't help but just be affected by it. Um, do you know who Glenn's uh, mentor was when he was at Disney? Or yeah, I guess when he started? Yeah, Ollie Johnson. Ollie Johnson, yeah. okay. And Ollie for those that, that don't know, we talked about the nine old men. The insiders and in animation know exactly what we mean, but could you maybe yeah. explain that a little bit to people that have no clue what that even is? So means? the nine the nine old men were basically the nine animators that Walt really leaned on through the years to create the films. And they were responsible for you know designing characters, supervising sequences and, and, and supervising the animation of these characters. Um and so they were, you know, most of the characters 
that you can think of that came out of Disney were created by these, one of these, you know, one or all of the nine old men. And uh, they call them the nine old men because they were there for 30, 40 years, 50 years in some cases. And, and mm. they, they grew old there. They started <laughs> young and grew old. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what it reminds me of, because I've been studying business a little bit lately, um, history of business and so forth. It sort of reminds me of Henry Ford in a lot of ways. And you probably yeah. know this story about how um, he was um, talked to someone at some point and they were asking him the keys to his success or something like that. And he's he talked about how basically it was surrounding himself with great people. And that's kind of what Walt did, isn't it? Yeah, it's exactly what Walt did. Mm-hmm. And um he knew that he didn't have all the answers. He knew that there's a lot of people out there that were better artists, better storytellers, and he wanted to get the best of the best. And, um, and so he brought in great illustrators um, and together they, it was these guys that created the, the, the original nine old men. These are the guys that created the fundamentals of animation that we watch now. You know the squash and stretch and timing and appeal and all these different things that we that we take for granted as rules that we go by when we animate. These are the guys that discovered them and created them and and made them what they were. Um, they were great draftsmen. They were incredible storytellers and and uh, and they kind of forged the path that we all take for granted now. Um, they're the ones that kind of cleared the way and and you know if if you look at Films like Snow White, you know, Snow White being the first full-length feature film. It's also the first color film, um, uh, feature film. Hmm. Um, If you look at the quality of that animation, it was still very much in the early 20s kind of rubber hose type style of animation. There was more, there was a bit more character in there, but if you see the growth from that, to things like Bambi and Sleeping Beauty and you know some of these other films that came later, Pinocchio. The amount of growth in that short amount of time, artistic growth is what I mean. It's it's absolutely mind-boggling because these guys were experimenting and really trying to create through their animation, you know, believable worlds. And so they they went beyond and and right. like I said, created the the rules that we follow today. Right. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I think for anybody out there that, um, you know, we look at Disney now and it's just this big conglomerate corporation. But if you get back to the nuts and bolts of how Disney started, it's it's an incredibly fascinating story to me. It is. It is. It's a lot of failure and and, uh, hard work and then falling down again and hard work and then success. And, you know, and you just keep pushing, you keep plugging, you persist. Yeah. and, uh, And it happens. Yeah. And. Walt, um, not that we're going to do the history of Disney here, but uh, Walt passed away in the 60s, um, and he was – okay, yeah. And he um, had – I guess his brother took over and maybe um, another um, grandson or nephew took over later on. Yeah, Roy Um, Jr. Roy Roy was Walt's brother, and then Roy Jr. also was deeply – I actually knew Roy Jr. uh, very well, Um, and um, he had a big part of – the, the animation side of things. So he, you know, back in the sixties, he was doing nature film documentaries uh, for Disney and that sort of thing. Mm. But um, uh, as we got back into the eighties, I'm not sure how much Roy was involved with animation before the eighties. Uh, but I know that when Michael Eisner took over in 1984, the company, 
Mm-hmm. Um, they were considering shutting down animation altogether because it just wasn't. It, it, it was at a real low point in its in its history, and um, it was just a big money suck. And so Roy came along and said, "Look, this is the heart of the company. This is what started the company, and we can't we can't shut down animation. Let's let's let me have it, and let's see if I can revitalize it." And mm. so that's when he brought in you know, people from Broadway and new writers and new thinkers and, and really kind of turned it around. And that was, that was around like 1985. Yeah. And then that's when you, you had the great mouse detective, you had uh, 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 Oliver and company, and then the little mermaid. And that was kind of the beginning of kind of getting a resurgence in animation after little mermaid, you know, we had the rescuers, but then it was beauty and the beast and Aladdin and uh, the lion King. And, you know, just exploded after that, they found this, Huh. You know, going back to the, this musical Broadway structure that the that audiences really uh, responded to, and and but they're also great stories, and so yeah. they got some really really good storytellers in there to help write these these films. So it seemed like, in a lot of ways, he employed that same thing that we talked about, where he brought in right. people who were experts in their field, yeah. and <laughs> exactly, exactly, Incredible. and. Uh, yeah, and you know the songwriters were Broadway songwriters, and the you know the head of our studio was you know ran ran uh, you know playhouses in 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 broad in, in New York, and so um, it was very much the same the process. It was just the end product was different. Mm. Um, what was your um, like brief experience with Roy like? Was he a really cool guy to be around? It was very cool. I loved yeah. I loved it when Roy came in because Roy loved nature. And he loved the outdoors. And uh, so when he would come to our studio in Florida, which is where we were based, mm-hmm. um, I was up on the third floor. Uh, we were making Brother Bear at the time. And um, and so he would just come up, him and his wife would come up and they would just hang out with us. And, and Roy liked to smoke. He was the only guy <laughs> that would, uh, you know, sit in the studio and, 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 at Disney and light up a cigarette and smoke. So he oh, could wow. do that because he was Disney. Uh, yeah. He he did quit after a while, but in the beginning he would hang out and smoke. But um, but yeah, we'd sit there and and we would just talk story and and then we'd talk about you know his you know he he loved to sail and he and quite often he he did the the trip between uh, Los Angeles and and Hawaii. He would sail between the two quite a bit. Oh, wow. And uh, we'd talk about that. We'd talk about you know um, I remember the the first time I ever went to see Cirque du Soleil. Roy took us to go see Cirque du Soleil. He grabbed a bunch of us and we all went. So oh, um, wow. it was just a really, for a guy that was icon- as, as iconic and wealthy as he was, um, he was a really cool, just down to earth. He loved to come in and just shoot, mm-hmm. shoot, you know, just talk and hang out and talk. So it was great. So, um, well, back then, okay, we're fast forwarding a little bit because Aaron's now at Disney and we've got Roy. Um, did they do like, um, you know how you know how corporations do nowadays? Do they had did they have like corporate meetings and like you know um, that sort of thing where he would kind of talk to the whole company? Because I know they didn't have things like Zoom to be able to talk to everybody. <laughs> no, but we did um, fairly quickly. We we did get a, a early form of video conferencing, but we didn't really use it until uh-huh. later because it was like seven thousand dollars a minute or something. It was crazy, mm-hmm. but um. Uh, no, we, Roy would come in, Roy was more of a, Roy did come in and he would talk to us, 
but he wasn't a big, he wasn't the decision maker. He, he, he put people in place that ran our division, that ran the animation division. So that was, you know, Peter Schneider and Tom Schumacher, who were the guys, you know, that, and Roy was kind of there kind of guiding things along, but really he was partnered with them in a way. Um, he wasn't really in, you know, he was the largest shareholder in the company. Um, but, you know, he wasn't working the day-to-day -day stuff. And so Peter Schneider, uh, Tom Schumacher, they ran the studio. They were uh, uh, kind of business and creative heads, and they answered directly to Michael Eisner. Okay, okay. And, uh, and so, but we would, you know, they would come down. We'd all gather in a big sound stage somewhere on the back lot and, and, or, or in our big theater. We had a theater, and, and, um, and, you know, they would talk to us. Now, after a while, we did get... Uh, a form of video conferencing. And so uh, and by that point, this is in the mid nineties, um, we had a studio in Paris, we had our studio in Florida, and then we had a studio in, in oh, wow. Los Angeles. And, uh, and so they would annually pull together all the studios at the same time on video and talk to us about you know, the state of the state of the of the company. Yeah. This is what we have in pre-production. This is what we have in development. This is what you know, and, and they just talk about what we're doing. So it was fun. Okay. Did they have um, create? Did they have create? Uh, this is just me asking an ignorant question. Did they have creative departments, or a lot of times did like directors say, "Hey, I've got an idea," and they throw it at you know executives and that sort of thing to figure something out? We had a thing called the Gong Show. Hmm. <laughs> and uh, I know, funny, right? Uh, we had a thing called the Gong Show, and it was it was held once a year. Michael Eisner was part of it. The two heads of this of our division, uh, uh, Peter Schneider and, and Tom Schumacher, a uh, few producers were in there. And basically, anybody in the company, if they had an idea, could pull together a pitch and come in on this day, and you'd sign up on a on a sheet. And uh, and you'd get ten or fifteen minutes or whatever, and you'd come in and you'd pitch you'd pitch an idea you'd pitch your idea and anybody like uh, had had the ability to do it and um, uh, I can't remember what films made it through as a result of the Gong Show I'd be hard pressed to to do that but I do know people got picked up for development and, uh, you know if a, if an idea was picked up for development they would get a check for a certain amount of money and if it went into production then they get another check for a certain amount of money so they were you know they were they were rewarded for it they didn't you know just because you pitched an idea didn't necessarily mean you made that movie mm -hmm. uh, but some of them did and um you know i was a lucky one in that sense where i was able to come in and pitch an idea and and, and make the idea but um but you know that uh, yeah th there was always opportunity for people to be heard creatively so it was very yeah. cool that way Okay, well, let me do this. Um, Aaron's, I think, a little too humble to go through this, so I'm going to go through it. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go. Uh, I'm looking on the Wikipedia page now just to to go through some of the uh, list of um, credits that I'm seeing, and um, by all means, you can uh, correct me or add things that they don't have on here. But um, just or to look at the. Maybe they got something I didn't do. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't do uh, that. Okay, we have animation department, um, roller coaster rabbit, which is from the. Um, Roger, Roger Rabbit. Rabbit movie, yeah. That was sort yep. of shorts they did. Um, the, um, the Rescuers Down Under, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, uh, Trail Mix-Up, which is a short, yeah. The Lion King, um, Pocahontas, 
Mulan, um, and then of course uh, Brother Bear. I don't know right. if there was any other that you'd want to add to that that were kind of uh, notable. No, I mean I, there was one little short that I did with a Mickey Donald Goofy How to Haunt a House. <laughs> ah. from, yeah, that, that was a fun little thing. That was one of the first things I ever directed. But um, but yeah, that, that's the credit list. So it was, you know, the '90s were very good, and uh, to the animation industry and to me, you know, I was lucky to come into the industry during that time. You know, mm -hmm. coming in in 1988, it couldn't have been a better time for someone to to enter that that world. And um, you know, myself and you know, I was a product of the intern program. That, yeah, I got, I was trained and and became an animator. And most of my colleagues in the Florida studio were products of, of the same intern program, just at different times. I was in the pilot program, mm -hmm. but every 16 weeks or so, there was a new internship, intern program. And uh, well, basically, I think it was like every six months or so, they'd, or, or once a year, they'd, they'd have it, I guess is what it worked yeah. out to be. But um, uh, so we ended up with a lot of folks that were new to the industry and we were all together in this little studio. So we were kind of the little, we wanted to prove ourselves that we were the little studio that could. And, um, and so we always had something to prove. And, um, and to this day, I mean, that was 35 years ago and I've worked at, I've been exposed to a lot of different studios and, and different studio cultures. And that little studio that we had back in the late eighties and early nineties and through the nineties, probably the best studio I have ever or ever will work in. And, mm. and to this day, I still believe it was one of the best studios in the world. It was um, we, not just because of, I think we're making great films, which I, I think we were. Um, it was, it was just the chemistry. You, it, it could never be repeated because it was literally all these young people that had just gotten trained Mm -hmm. thrown together to make films and really prove that they had the ability to do it. And as a result of that, we bonded in a way that I've never seen at another studio. And so our families, not we didn't just bond at the studio as individuals working at a, at a, for a company, all of our families came together and bonded. And so, you know, we became, we became a tribe. We mm -hmm. were very, very tight, very close. And, um, and I've never, I've never experienced it, even staying within the company. Cause at one point, you know, the Florida studio uh, in 2004 uh, closed Disney shut, shut it down and downsized. And so uh, I lost a lot of my friends uh, to the wind, you know, to, to going off to different parts of the country, the world. Mm -hmm. And I transferred to the studio in California, which didn't, remotely have the same kind of culture or personality. It's a great studio. Don't get me wrong. It's a wonderful studio, but it's just a different feel altogether. It was a different feel. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And well, that's one lesson that I've learned from you um, through following your website is that um, oftentimes some of the best animation happens with um, collaboration, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And um, you know, you were talking earlier about Walt, and um, surrounding himself with the best people. And that was probably the biggest lesson I learned as a director, um, which was, you know, when I first started directing, I, I 
was really scared because I, I didn't have all the answers and I've, I felt like I was failing because I didn't have all the answers. Mm. And the, the fact was I was doing fine. It's just, you, you need to, to know the direction you're going and you don't need to necessarily have all the answers. You depend on the people you bring in to, to, to answer those questions, you know? And so, um, you know, I, I, we would collaborate, we would bring artists in. I remember there in, in brother bear, which was the film I, I directed for Disney. There was a sequence, the transformation sequence where our main character Kenai is transformed into this bear. And we wanted it to be big and a big spectacle of spirits and ghosts and all these Northern lights and all kinds of stuff. And I had no idea how to approach it. And, mm -hmm. uh, but we pulled together several people. One of the main people being a guy named Richie Chavez. And we said, Hey, you know, this is what's happening in the story. Your visual development is unbelievable. We'd love for you to take a crack at it. And so he went away and came back mm. six weeks later with, with storyboards of what ended up in the movie. So it was, yeah, it's always, it, it's the collaboration of people that come together uh, to create something that yeah. you know, no one person would have thought of. Yeah. Um, that's, that's really interesting. Um, well, let's talk about a little bit about, um, two of the biggest that come to mind, I guess, for a lot of people when they think of the Disney nineties era, um, beauty and the beast and Lion mm -hmm. King, you worked on yeah. both those films, right? I did. Yeah. I did. On, yeah. on beauty and the beast. I was one of the beast animators. So I guess, uh, that, what were some of your highlights from those two that, that stick uh, out to beauty, you? Beauty and the beast was still very early in my career. I was about 24 or 25 and, um, and Glenn Keane, who is my mentor, I was talking about earlier when I was an mm -hmm. intern, uh, he was creating the beast and, uh, but they were, he was based in California. You gotta remember a lot of people don't realize that, you know, when, when these films were made in the nineties, um, we, they were all done with two studios. We had, oh, a, yeah, that's right. We had a studio in California. We had our studio in Florida, and we, but we worked on the same films together. And so it was difficult, too, because you got to remember back then, especially with Beauty and the Beast and the Lion King, there was no there was no emailing. There was yeah, no, no video conferencing. <laughs> there was no video conferencing. There was none of that stuff. There was no Internet. There was none of that. And so um, we did everything with FedEx. It was crazy. Oh, wow. phone, calls and, phone calls and Federal Express um, and faxing 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 terrible drawings uh <laughs> but uh it, it's amazing we got these films done but anyway wow. um so i was based in florida and but we had another animator that worked in florida that was uh gonna be kind of heading up uh bell uh, mark hen he was he's just an amazing animator oh, yeah, mark mark hen. Hen. yeah yeah incredible animator and one of his specialties is animating female leads he was just really he draws you know, he would draw the female leads in just really appealing ways and, and his acting was solid and he's very fast. And so we knew that he would be animating Belle. And so there was going to be a lot of scenes where she would be with Beast, obviously. And so Glenn came to me and said, hey, I need a Florida Beast guy to animate with Mark. And so I want you to be my Florida Beast guy. And so um, that was, you know, there were six animators total that worked on the Beast. Wow. And uh, so I was I was one of the six. I was in Florida. And so pretty much Mark and I did a whole bunch of work together through the film. And so one of the first sequences I got on Beauty and the Beast was this sequence where he and Belle are arguing where she's 
trying to bandage his arm after he'd been attacked by these wolves or when he saved Belle from the wolves. And so they get into this huge argument. And but at, by the end of the, the sequence, they've come to an understanding. She says, thank you for saving my life. And it's the first time they really kind of aren't at each other's throats, no pun intended, so, mm-hmm. so to speak. And uh, so it was a huge um, it was just a huge acting opportunity for me. Uh, you know, even animators, you know, a lot like live actors, we look for those big juicy roles that are going to kind of shoot us into uh, the limelight and get us more work. And that that's what that sequence did for me. It was, um, you know, you're, you're only as good as your last film. And so, you know, by the time Beauty and the Beast finished, I did a whole bunch of other stuff in the film as well with Beast. But that was really kind of a, a highlight for me. And it enabled me to get my own character on the next film, which was Aladdin. And so I went on to Aladdin and I created Raja, the tiger. Uh, and I'm just, I'm going to jump ahead to the Lion King. And the reason I hit Aladdin was because I did this tiger and then the next film were yeah. lions. And so it was, it wasn't a huge leap. And so once again, Mark Hen and I, uh, on Aladdin, I did Raja, he did Jasmine on uh, Beauty and the Beast, he did Belle, I did Beast. And then in The Lion King, he did Young Simba and I did Young Nala. So he and I were always kind of partners in crime with our characters. And um, uh, so by the time we got to The Lion King, I had this this little lion cub character and just had a blast with it. And, and uh, um, one of the highlights of that was just, you know, being able to animate four-legged you know wildlife i love i love animating animating animals and that sort of thing and then my daughter was also a huge inspiration in the look oh yeah she was about three year three years old when i went on to the lion king and um yeah she was a lot of the facial inspiration for for nala she had the big doughy eyes and it was yeah it's great and she's she's 34 now and still tells everyone she's nala from the lion king (laughs) that's a nice (laughs) perk (laughs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> oh man um well okay you revealed a few things that i don't think a lot of people realized just in what you said about disney because i didn't realize this till a couple of years ago that there were actually two animation studios back in those days and that y'all are collaborating um back yeah. and forth in the 90s via fax and fedex and <laughs> television. yeah actually we we had and like i said earlier we we grew to three studios but um oh, yeah man. it was it was crazy because um you know in the the way the, the process of making an animated animated film, uh, you storyboard it and sequences get uh, okayed into production. And then um, back then, once that happens, then they start casting the film, not just from a, 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 an actor voice standpoint, but animators are cast just like a live actor is cast. And so um, we would each get a role in the film. Like Glenn Keane was cast as the beast. And but there's so much of the beast to animate. No, you know, he couldn't do it all himself in the time that was allotted to make the film. And so that's when you bring on other animators and you create a crew. So there that became the beast crew. But we were still each one of us that the six of us, we were cast to be you know, the beast. We're just there just happened to be six actors that became the beast. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, and so the way it would work Glenn being based in California, I would rough out a shot and him being the supervising animator, he would kind of, he would look over everybody's animation to make sure that we're all staying kind of within the same realm of who the beast was. 
know, you got six different people animating the beast. You want to make sure that you have one beast and not six different versions of the beast. Makes sense. And so, yeah, so I would animate a shot. I'd rough animate it, scribble it out, and I'd pack it up into a box and send it off to California. Um, and then I get started on a new shot. Meanwhile, that, you know, goes FedEx, goes overnight to California. And at some point during Glenn's busy day, he goes through my shot, opens up the box, makes his notes, does a drawing, might call me and say, hey, I want you to see on drawing, blah, blah, blah. I did this. And we talk about it. Then he puts it back in the box, sends it back overnight, comes back wow. to me. Meanwhile, I've been working on this other shot. And so I take that shot, put it aside. I get to the box, open it up, and I go back to that shot. And, and that's how we made the whole movie. And uh, it's a really inefficient way of filmmaking. Um, and FedEx made a killing off of Disney. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and, and, you know, a big part of our culture back then was, you know, making the 5 o'clock FedEx truck, you know, making sure you got everything done in time for the, you know, to get it into a box and get out the door by five o'clock. So wow. that really ruled our, it ruled our lives at the time. So how long, um, let's just use an example, um, Lion King or um, Beast, um, how, how long, about how long would it take to create those films from, you know, conception to um, release? Well, uh, yeah, from conception to release was usually five to six years. Wow. That's okay. I, so, I, wow. Yeah. Okay. And that's all hand. And then, but the actual production, yeah. the actual production time was usually about eighteen to twenty-four months. Okay, eighteen so, to twenty-four months. Um, yeah. I think, that's, so I, yeah. there's a lot. There's a lot of development that goes into the front end, um, mm -hmm. writing and rewriting, and and it's very very glacial. It just happens very slowly, and then all of a sudden, the last two years, the movie explodes and gets made. Ah, uh, so an eighteen to twenty-four month period if we translated that to nowadays. Let's just say Disney decided they wanted to do another hand-drawn animation on um, on 2D with computers. Do, would, yeah. do, would it still take 18 to 24 months, or would it probably be, you know, um, taken down by a third or so? No, it would it would still take the same amount of time because really the, the biggest time-consuming part of hand-drawn animation is really the, the drawing aspect of it. And so drawing on a Cintiq or drawing on paper, it doesn't really matter. It's about the same amount of time now what the the time that you do save is in the shooting of all the drawings mm -hmm. but that's you know it's kind of insignificant and when you're looking at the entire length of making a film you might save weeks out of a two two-year you know schedule mm -hmm. but i mean it's really it's really the same process. The tools have just gotten fancier. The pencils are fancier. Right. You know, and, and so um, I'm still, I'm still drawing every frame. I'm still uh, painting, digitally painting every background. Um, mm -hmm. The process of painting is still the same. It's just digital rather than, uh, you know, watercolor or oil or acrylic or something like that. Is, is um, that piece, is that piece of it um, significantly, um, you know, um, I guess reduced time-wise for the painting part? Yeah, it, it, def it definitely does reduce the time there. And uh, and the great thing about working digitally is just how quickly you can uh, com composite everything together and get mm -hmm. everything shot. So, you know, when I'm, like I was saying, you know, when I was animating on paper, <clears throat> my, uh, um, 
when I finish a shot, I have to go shoot it, get it on the video so I could send it out to the directors for the directors to look at or, or, or you know, the animators working for me would do the same thing. And that's, you know, depending on the length of a shot, it could take you two, three hours just to shoot a scene and then get it out. And then if there's something you don't like or something that needs to be changed, you go back and redraw, then you got to reshoot again. So that was a really time consuming part of it. Um, or you'd send it out to camera and they would shoot it. Uh, so there's things like that or the, um, uh, or, anyway, what I was getting at was, you know, now I, you know, when I animate, I, the process of animation is still the same. I'm just doing it digitally on a screen and I'm doing it. My primary, uh, software is TV paint. And so I can literally finish animating a shot and then just hit play and it plays it back for me. I don't have right. to shoot anything. And then I can make adjustments in timing and, you know, right there on the fly. So it's a much, much more efficient way of, of making films. Um, I think it reduces, I don't know that it reduces the time sub substantially, but what it, what, one of the things it does for me is I think it reduces the, 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 the head count a little bit, the, mm -hmm. the number of people you need on a crew. Yeah, for sure. That makes sense. Um, well, um, Okay, we may have to do a part two at some point in the future, just because there's so much I want to <laughs> dig into. Uh, sure. But because um, I know we're we're kind of um, you know squeeze on time a little bit here, but I want to cover a few more things before we close it out. Um, sure. Well, a lot of people might be listening to this, and especially if they're like in the 17 to 20 year old range, or maybe if they're older and you know they're they're decided, hey, I'm sick and tired of my nine to five. I don't want to get into doing artwork for a living. What yeah. do you tell a lot of people like that are wanting to get started, especially because a lot of people that want to do this, I think, are, are sort of like me. They have a bend toward our artistic work and they want to get into maybe animation or maybe backgrounding or whatever, right. you know, and maybe doing freelance or working for a studio. What are some of the um, the key steps I think you could advise them on what to do next? Well, I mean, if you want to do hand-drawn animation, like what I do, uh, which is my world, um, I always describe it as... Um, if you want to be a great writer or better yet if you want to be a poet to be a great poet or songwriter the more you know whatever language you're writing that stuff in let's say it's english the more you know the english language the better poet you're going to be because that is the language of your art right and so the language of animation is drawing you know mm. it's visual drawing and so the better draftsman you are the better you can express those ideas that are in your head onto paper the better you're going to be as an animator the more art you're going to be able to create or the more artistic art you're going to be able to create and so i'm a big advocate on being the best artist you can be practice 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 and um and you know always hone your skill that's one thing um, and then there's a couple of other things. Do you want to, you know, do you want to go into animation more as a hobby, which is, you know, just dive in and, and start enjoying it. If it's something you want to start doing as a living, or if you want to work for a studio, then that really does put more pressure on you having to be the best you absolutely can be because it's a very competitive uh, industry. And so getting out there and, um, and, and just honing your skills the best you can is that's the best medicine to, to, you know, getting a job or the best mm -hmm. solution to getting a job. Um, and then, you know, cast a wide net as well. I mean, so many people get so laser focused on, 
I got to work for Disney or I got to work for Pixar or whatever. And, um, and they really miss some great opportunities out there because, you know, those studios are only so big and, and it's a, it's a battle to get in there. Right. But there's a lot of other great studios out there that are doing beautiful work. And uh, so cast a wide net and, you know, see where you end up. So that's, Probably my biggest piece of advice, because especially for young people, they the two questions are, you know, what's it take to what do I need to do to get into Disney and how do I become a director? So it's like, bam, bam, like these big jumps that they want to do. And and, you know, I, <laughs> you don't want to start I, at the top. <laughs> well, it, 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 and then there's I sound like the grumpy old man, but this the younger generation of younger people have grown up in a world of instant satisfaction. You know, everything is, 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 is quick and at at your fingertips. You know, we even have shows American Idol, it's instant stardom, you know, Mm. and I can't tell me how many times I've watched, you know, American Idol, when you have a 16 year old kid going, it's my last shot. I don't know what I'm going to do if I don't make it. And, um, and animation just isn't that. Mm. And so a lot of young people that that I've, I've experienced over the years, there's a, a heavy amount of frustration because they're not succeeding right now. And it's becoming a great animator is sort of like wine. It just takes time and it needs to age. And it need, and that's what animation is. You need to do it a lot and make discoveries and hone the craft. I hate using that word, but hone that skill. Because it's just not. Yeah, it doesn't happen overnight. And so yeah. you just got to let it happen. Yeah. I remember one of your advices was to um, just um, get out there and like, just go outside and draw trees in the yard, go out there to the zoo and draw animals, yeah. go out there to the mall and draw people or draw cars yeah. or whatever you see. Yeah. You know, just, just draw, get, you know, as my friend Ronnie Williford likes to say, get the paper dirty. Yeah. And um, <laughs> you know, and the, if you're, if you're not drawing, you're not learning. And that's, that's the key. If, you know, there's so many people that say, Oh, I want to be an animator. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you, how, you know, how do you get motivated to draw? Well, I, I, I don't have to get motivated to draw. I can't not draw. It's like, it's like asking, how do you get motivated to breathe? And <laughs> it's just, you know, and that's Brushing the thing. Yeah. You, you've got, it, it's in your blood. And, um, and the better you get at it, the more of a, a more of an addiction it becomes. Hmm. And, um, and so, but, but I'm still, you know, I've been drawing since I could hold a pencil, uh, and, and I'd be lying if I said, I'm, I'm not learning anymore. I'm still learning. I'm still growing as an artist. And that's one of the great things about, you know, art, music, any of those things that, you, you know, it's something that you can you can master forever or, or, or learn to master forever. Mm-hmm. You'll never become a master. Well, and you just, you keep making discoveries. Something you said earlier um, about Mark Hinn and his ability to be fast. Um, yeah. Now in my head, I'm thinking to myself, okay. Um, somebody that has ambitions for being a, a great freelancer, working at a studio or whatever, obviously they need to strive to be like you or someone that's like a Glenn Keane, but uh, Mark Hinn, I know from seeing an interview about him recently that he's kind of well known for being super fast and being and getting it done fast. I would have. He was imagined... the fastest in the entire studio. Yeah. Wow. So okay, so I would imagine that he would concur with you tenfold in what you just said. Right. Much of what I just said, <laughs> I'm echoing Mark Hinn. Yeah. Mark Hinn's words. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. 
Yeah. And, uh, and you know, one of the, the biggest secret to Mark's success was his butt was planted in his chair mm. for eight hours a day and he was drawing. He put a lot of people equity. will get up, they'll walk, they'll go get coffee, they'll hang out with their buddies you know, on break or go play a game of ping pong or whatever it is. And uh, but Mark was always sitting in his at his desk and he was always and his process was always the same. He would sit down, he'd thumbnail it all out, he'd figure out the choreography of a shot, he'd sit down and start drawing, and he knew the shortcuts to get, you know, to do partial drawings here or there or whatever. He'd get everything that needed to be done in the shot, and he surrounded himself with great assistants, mm-hmm. people that knew how to follow him up that could draw over his work and create the stuff that ended up on the screen and he could just move on to the next shot. And so as a result of, he just, he was, Mark Henn and his crew were this very well-oiled machine, very efficient. Putting that sweat um, equity in. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so, you know, where, you know, one, an average animator might animate, I don't know, 250, maybe 300 feet in a film over the period of animating a film, yeah, Mark would do a thousand feet. You know, he was Damn. that much quicker than everybody else. Did y'all so, call him and machine? Mark always said, <laughs> yeah. Well, Mark and Mark's philosophy was he, you know, I'd ask, we, we, he and I would talk and Mark was, he was taught by Eric Larson, who's one of the nine old men. And mm-hmm. Eric used to tell him, you know, the best way to influence an animated film or have the most influence on an animated film is get the most a- animation in there. If you're an animator. And so that was always Mark's philosophy. You know, he wanted to influence the movie. So he wanted to be, he wanted to get the most animation in the film. And that was, that's how we did it. Well, that kind of leads to, um, for those that are sitting at home wondering, how do I get into this more? Um, Creature, our teacher, Cat. Yeah. Uh, that's Zarin Blaze's uh, baby, his website. Um, yeah. I guess if you could tell us a little bit about it and uh, why, you know, because, okay, I love your vision behind this, by the way, of right. creating a um, a way for people to basically get a discount, um, you know, great art education without having to spend all the dollars to go to art school. Yeah, well, I'm a, I'm a big believer. Uh, you know, there's certain things that I just don't think should be for profit. Healthcare, <laughs> education, and prison systems. Those are my big three. And I just, I just don't think... Uh, I think college education has just gone through the roof. The financially has just gone absolutely bonkers. And, um, and so, you know, going back a little bit, going back a little ways, I, I left Disney. My wife, Karen passed away from uh, breast cancer mm. and I went down a dark, dark hole and I kind of wasn't functioning at Disney anymore. I was taking off the project I was working on and I realized I really need to make a change. And so I decided to leave Disney after 21 years. And I, um, I came back to Florida. This is when I was living in California. I came back to Florida, my home state. I worked for another studio for a little while before they went bankrupt. Hmm. And it was at this point that I really decided, you know what? I need to make a change. I want to do something different. I want to get out of the. I want to get out of the studio world. I don't want to work for executives anymore. I want to. I want to be my own boss. And also at the time, I really wanted to do something that would make my wife proud. You know, she was a big advocate of education and, and, um, and helping and, and all of that. So, uh, and th- that, you know, cu- coupled with this idea of, you know, astronomical uh, uh, tuition fees, um, 
I started thinking about Glenn Keane and all of the learning that I had gotten from him, Mark Henn, all these people that had affected me over the years. And I realized this is, you know, YouTube was kind of a couple of years into YouTube. And I was starting to realize that, you know, there was a, a, a big world that I had that I could access um, and, and teach. And so I thought, and there was already, there was a few online companies that were starting to do it. And so I thought, I, I you know, I've got something to say you know, from an animation standpoint and from an art, art standpoint. Mm -hmm. And I can, I think I want to do this and make it really cheap and give, give people that can't go to school an opportunity to learn and, and, and learn from somebody that's been around the block a few times. And, and our, our philosophy was, you know, don't be greedy, make it affordable to everybody. We, and we, we really looked at um, my business partner, Nick Birch and my, myself, we started looking at all kind, all the, the the lowest economic denominators. We looked at some of the poorest countries on the globe, and said if we can make it so that people from this economic structure can, if they can afford it, then everyone will afford it, and and so we can make act, you know, give access to to artistic people that might not otherwise have any access to training. And so we went ahead and did that and decided, you know, let's let's go for a global scale. You know, people are like, why, you know, you're insane. You can't make it this cheap. You should be pricing it at this. You're undervaluing yourself. <laughs> I said, no, I'm making it to where everyone can afford it. And I'm just getting a lot more people <laughs> and, and it's worked out. It's really worked. And, and uh, the other thing that it's done is it's, it's, it's created um, loyalty. People appreciate what we do a lot more. And, and I, and we've built, you know, over the last 10 years, it's been 10 years now, uh, we've built a really, really great community, um, and I'm getting wonderful letters from people that said, you know, I couldn't go to college, I couldn't afford it, and I took your classes, and I just got my first job in the animation industry. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. Yeah, and we've gotten a lot of those letters. Or I, I was just about got, to ask you about any success stories you've uh, witnessed. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and it's and I, I love that. It's great. And, um, and then, you know, we can go anywhere in the world, and we can fill a room because of, you know, we've got so many people that have taken our courses and, and uh, mm -hmm. have been influenced by us over the last 10 years. It's, it's really nice. Whether we go to Europe, we go to Asia, we go to South America, we are always able to find somebody that's taken our classes. So it's, <laughs> it's really cool. And, um, and it's, it's like, I got this giant global family now and I, I absolutely love it. Well, a few things that I'll point out that I think are great is that um, for those that are just, you don't have a dime to your name, like you maybe you work a minimum wage job at your local grocery store, and but you want to yeah. get into art. Aaron has got hundreds of hours on the YouTube page that are completely free. Yeah, those are know? free. Absolutely. Yep. Um, and then you can even next level it up to, okay, I, I can only afford to spend five or 10 bucks a month. Aaron's got right. you there, you know, and yeah. then if you're, and then he'll even dis they even discount it to where, you know, you're not going to pay more than 200 bucks for a membership, you know? No, um, and that gives sure. you everything. That's 700 hours of, of education on the site. That's everything on the site. So yeah, it's, mm -hmm. yeah. So there's always, we're always doing something, a sale or, or whatever. It's hey, it, tomorrow's the 29th. We're doing a 29% off sale. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> So I guess my point is for everybody that um, and another thing too to point out is that um, this is an art website. This is if you're into acrylic or oil painting or you want to yeah. just learn sculpture, this is not just for animators only. 
Exactly. That, you know, my background before animation was drawing and painting. And so we have a lot of traditional art, uh, mm-hmm. traditional media, charcoal drawing, uh, watercolor, acrylic, oil. Uh, then we've also got digital art. We've got animation and all kinds of stuff. So mm-hmm. um, it's great. I, I love doing it. Uh, and then the other thing, too, that we've, we've been doing over the last several years is I went back to filmmaking. And so I wanted to create my own film called right. Snow Bear. And so we decided, hey, let's let's add some value to the membership of the website. And so uh, twice a week, every which is how Gene and I met, every Tuesday and Thursday, I live stream me making the film. And so people can tune in and and see how an animated film is made. And, and that's a great little community as well. I love it. And I think that that piece there... Like if you go on if you go online and look for like getting some mentorship from say someone that's a um, former Disney or Warner Brothers whatever animator you're going to be paying several hundred if not thousands of dollars to get that sort of education and and when you're a membership I feel like I'm plugging here but (laughs) if you're a membership (laughs) here at Cat you get to sit down and watch Aaron do these line by line. Like you could literally sit there and watch video after video of how he solves different problems that come up as he's animating. Yeah. I want it. I want it to be a resource for people. And um, like I said, I want, you know, I want people to see the process and and, and Mm -hmm. learn from it. So there you go. And it's, and and it's great for me because I'm, I've, I've obligated myself at least twice a week to sit down and have to make this thing because I've, I've got to, I've got to join in with you guys. So you've, you've made so the I members, your boss. Of accountability. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> well, um, the other thing that I've pointed out is that um, for those that are like, well, what kind of credentials, blah, blah, blah. Um, you can get certified now in a couple of ways through the website too. Yeah. So, yeah, we're not necessarily, we're not accredited or we don't have college accreditation, but the, the, the information is, is there and, uh, and you can be certified that you've taken the courses because there, you know, there's a lot of uh, businesses out there, studios that want to get further education for their employees. And so a lot of them will want some kind of certificate of completion to show that they've done that. So we, we've provided that. Uh, and it's, it's just an, and sometimes it, it helps get you the job as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's, you know, you can, I think we have it for animation. We have it for character design. We have several different, uh, uh, certificates of completion that you can you can get with us. Okay. Well, um, as far as um, I don't know if you want to mention briefly, but um, are there any other um, are there any big future things going on with CAD that you have planned besides you know obviously you're trying to finish Snowbear the Snowbear project, yeah. but uh, you know we're I mean we're 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 um, we're slowly easing into becoming more of a um, we're always going to be an education studio. We're always going to be teaching. Um, we're kind of stretching out to bigger parts of the world as well, but we're also kind of easing into uh, doing longer form film as well, mm. becoming uh, maybe becoming uh, a film studio at some point. So um, not necessarily not like a Disney or something like that, but uh, I mean, on that scale, but definitely uh, creating longer form, even feature length films down the road. So that's something that we're, we're slowly working towards to see if we can yeah. get there. So well, that's, that's cool that's, that you're you've got some yeah. uh, more content in the in the workings. So we do, yeah. yeah. And so Snow Bear, hopefully, if it comes out the way we want it to come out, is gonna it's gonna hopefully kind of open some doors for us and get some deals made. 
Okay, Aaron. Well, um, I am going to stop us now because um, I want to go right. for another hour and just get into the woods of what we we're talking about, especially, you know, in sure. the 90s and more <laughs> stories. So maybe sometime yeah. this year before 2025. <laughs> yeah, can we can always come back together and do it again for sure. Yeah, appreciate it. All right, Aaron. Well, I appreciate you coming on, man. Um, yeah, and I appreciate talking. you joining twice a week. And, and uh, I always love seeing Gene Gene the dancing machine coming on. <laughs> All right, Aaron. Well, thanks a lot and have a great day. All right, my man. Thank you so much. I'll see you tomorrow. Okay.